0: Hello everyone, and thank you for joining me for episode ten of the Mark Geist Show. This is Mark Geist, your host. So, have quite a bit to talk about today. Uh, Gary Johnson just keeps giving all libertarian talk show hosts, podcast hosts, uh, anybody writing about what's going on going on in the Libertarian Party. He's giving us a ton to write about, and it's not for good reasons. Uh, so, I want to get into what he said. I'm not sure when exactly he said it, it was within the last day or two, um, coming out in favor of a carbon tax, which is one of the least libertarian policies you could possibly embrace. And this is a man running as the Libertarian Party candidate for president. He's representing the Libertarian Party and he's the one out there that's supposed to be presenting libertarian beliefs to the public and he's just been flouting everything that libertarians believe like very simple things about principles he i don't know if he is willfully ignorant on the issues i know that he's not a libertarian first of all because if he was a libertarian he would understand these very basic issues you know the the whole principle of self-ownership and then trying to derive your positions based on a few tightly held beliefs and self-ownership and a belief in private property rights and to not be conscripted to do things against your will. Um, all of these things are central to libertarian philosophy, but time and time again, he is just igno- either ignored this or he doesn't understand it. And I think all that he's doing is he's doing what Trump and Clinton do, which is they take certain positions because it's politically popular, because they think it's going to help them get elected. And I understand any election there's going to be some of that, you know, you need to figure out, okay, how am I going to craft my message to get the most votes? And part of that maybe will be I, I don't talk about certain things or I try to avoid certain topics because maybe my positions aren't as politically popular as some of my other positions are. So I understand that that happens, but when you are running as the candidate representing a party that has some central beliefs, and like I said before, it's it derives from, from the belief that you own yourself, um, that private property rights are sacred. Um, and that you shouldn't be conscripted to do anything against your will, that the government and other people should not be able to control what you can put or what you put in your own body or what you do as long as it doesn't affect those around you, as long as it doesn't impose upon the rights of those people around you. Those are all central tenets of libertarianism. But Gary Johnson ignores all of those tenets. He, or he has ignored all of them at one time or another throughout this campaign. And he's gotten gradually worse on these issues. And yeah, maybe there are some things he's, he's still good on. But even the things that he's still good on, he's terrible at explaining and terrible at drawing back, this is my position on this issue. Because I believe in these fundamental rights, these fundamental principles of libertarianism. He never does that. He'll, he'll drone on and he'll bounce around. and I mean, e- Even when it's something that I really want to agree with him on, and it's an issue I do agree with him on, I still don't come away thinking, yeah, there's a guy who's thought about his position and who has derived his position based on something that makes sense. I never come away with that when watching him. Or listening to him so his latest egregious comments like I said are about uh, climate change and a carbon tax so here's here's this quote I do believe that climate change is occurring I do believe that it is man-caused and that there can be and is a free market approach to climate change And then his free market approach to global warming is quote a fee not a tax placed on carbon Another part of this quote, we as human beings want to see carbon emissions reduce significantly. And he also said that the U.S. only admits 16% of the global load of carbon dioxide. He also said, I don't quote, I, would, I don't want to do anything that harms jobs. So I don't really know where where to start with this, but first calling a carbon tax a free market approach to global warming is such an insult to the free market or actual free market ideas to help to solve problems or to make to make problems less of a problem uh calling taxing something a free market approach it the people that say these kinds of things are the same people that say that george w bush was a, <laughs> a a free market purist which we all know he wasn't he endorsed huge bailouts um, did the uh, the medicare prescription drug plan that added hugely to the cost of medicare Um, he he was a huge inter, uh, inter interventionist and anybody that looks beyond the the rhetoric around him knows that he is not a free market purist but the people that say these kind of things that a, a carbon tax is a free market solution to the issue of climate change it's it's ridiculous and i don't even want to get into the points of is there climate change um, but i think whether or not you think that climate change is happening and whether whether or not you think human beings are having a significant impact on the climate i think the belief that the government that the united states government can do something to appreciably change that course is ridiculous so in this quote itself says that the united states only only emits 16 percent of the global load of, of carbon dioxide so right there the united states only controls less than a fifth of the global emissions of carbon dioxide and I'm assuming that, that that percentage is declining and will continue to decline as developing countries, as more, more people there come into the modern world, have cars. Um, I think the United States share should continue to decline. So our ability to impact the global emissions of CO2 are only going to fall. Now, where the left then comes into it says, well, then, you know, we need global, we need global forms of government to impose certain limitations on other countries and i think it's a very slippery slope when you start talking about taking away sovereignty from individual countries and i don't want to delve into that i've talked about that before and i think what you're seeing now globally is a resistance against those types of things so against taking power away from maybe not locally But you you look at Brexit taking power away from your country and now vesting it in something like the European Union, where the further removed power is, the less accountable those leaders are to the people that they're supposed to be representing. And I think you're seeing movements like that all across the country here in the United States as well, where this is such a large country and so much power is centralized in the federal government. And the ratio of representatives of our our representatives to the number of people in this country is so astronomically small where uh, we don't really feel like we impact these decisions that are supposed to be made by people representing us but because they're representing so many people you know per representative there it's impossible for them to really have any sort of any sort of set any sort of understanding of what our interests are it's impossible so i think you're, you're seeing people waking up to that fact worldwide but at the same time that people are waking up to that you have people making the argument that well in order for us to do anything about climate change we need global government or we need we need a global body that has the ability to tell individual countries what to do and i think that if if the establishment is able to push that type of agenda and is able to impose impose a sort of global government or a, a global governing body that's able to impose its standards on sovereign nations, I think you're going to see these types of uprisings. So things like Brexit, but I think they probably wouldn't be peaceful like Brexit in all cases. You're going to see people come up and violently uh resist these types of movements because people and this is all throughout history if you feel like I'm not being represented people are making decisions that affect my life but I have no say in how those decisions are made and the further removed power is from you the more likely you are to feel that way so all throughout history this has happened and people have resisted it and have tried to move in the other direction. Now, there kind of have been ebbs and flows. It hasn't been a, a constant, okay, going from centralized power to decentralized power. There, there hasn't been any sort of straight line or, really, in a lot of cases, any discernible pattern. But I think you have seen in modern history. So, we're talking about moving from the feudal system to a more uh, monarchical system and then now to more republican systems of government now there are still plenty of monarchies around the world um, plenty of authoritarian governments around the world but if you look at the general trend of where we've gone this is the most democratic republican time in world history if you look at the number of people around the world living under those types of governments it's the highest it's ever been so i think if you if you want to say what's the grand arc Of political systems it's been toward me having control you know not ultimate control over decisions that are made over my life but more and more control over decisions that are made in my life and imposing global governing bodies to impose uh, environmental standards or you know co2 emission standards is what we're talking about here it's a slippery slope to now having these global governing bodies Imposing standards on anything and everything so i think that's the problem with taking that position because that's where this argument inevitably leads when you start talking about well you know the u.s only controls a small part of or a small percentage of global co2 emissions how much can we really do then people will say well then the u.s needs to impose its will on other countries or you know environmentalists need to impose their will on other countries but look at how poorly that's gone in terms of foreign policy and all the disasters we've had from trying to intervene in foreign affairs and that's one of the left's biggest criticisms of uh, the warmongering right is that they think we can just go in and with military might and by going in and and showing our strength we can force other countries to live like we do, and it is never that easy, and it has never been that easy. You look at the disasters of the Vietnam War, you look at the disaster in Afghanistan, and in Iraq, and a lot of other smaller disasters along the way, where every time we've tried to do that, it has not worked. And I agree wholeheartedly with the people on the left that criticize those types of policies. And I think that's one of the areas where libertarians and uh, and progressives can find common ground and can present a united front on the foreign policy issue. But the arguments that you make in, that you make against interventionist foreign policy are the same arguments you need to make against interventionist environmental policy or whatever you want to call it, climate policy. If you try to go in and impose the U.S.'s will, say, if we, say we as a country came together And decided you know we're gonna we're gonna devote every resource we can to protecting the environment I'm I'm obviously being extreme here but say that we did that and then say that we tried to now say you know we're doing this so so we want every other country in the world to do this and we're gonna go in and we're and we're gonna force them to change the same things are gonna happen people are going to resent us because when you do these types of things when you devote resources to uh, protecting the environment, I, I'm putting that more in, in quotes because when they're talking about um, limiting CO2 emissions or taxing CO2 emissions, the, the direct impact on the environment is, uh, it's indirect, if at all. You know, it's it's very difficult to see a direct impact of, of reducing CO2 emissions on the environment. Um, but say you were to take those policies and now impose them on european nations or on china uh, or you know anyone on india on russia they are going to resent us just like these countries in the middle east and really all around the world have resented us for decades upon decades really for the for the entire 20th and 21st centuries so far for intervening in their affairs because when you devote more resources to things like that it takes away from private job creation it takes away from from the private economy when you're having government directed uh, protecting the environment and it costs jobs and people's standards of living are going to be decreasing i'm not trying to make a i'm not trying to make a, a declarative statement one way or another on that but that is what happens and in gary johnson's quote when he says that I also don't want to cost anybody jobs. Well, th- that's what taxing is going to do. Placing another tax, another tax burden on the private sector, it is going to cost jobs. It is going to hurt the economy. It's it's inevitable. Now, I'm not. The whole purpose of this discussion isn't to talk about, you know, what level should we have this at. Obviously, if I'm taking a if I'm taking a purist, libertarian, uh, belief here. I don't want the government imposing any sort of restrictive covenants like that on businesses or taxing an activity like that. I would want that to be handled in the private sector. So if, if, if you do something that directly harms the environment, you can be held liable for those changes in the environment. If, if you pollute a river and it affects somebody else, that person can sue you for what you did to pollute the river you know i would hope that that would be able to be accomplished in the private sector and obviously that's a simple argument and that discussion is for an entirely different podcast but the whole idea of placing a carbon tax on carbon emissions is fundamentally a non-free market position and When you start to delve into this and i've had a lot of discussions with with progressives and, and other people on the left about this the argument or the discussion inevitably leads to more global forms of government and i don't really think they have a response to comparing intervention in terms of policies like this and intervention in terms of your form of government or, you know military intervention in foreign countries affairs it's the same thing you're telling them how to operate their country you're trying to tell them you know screw what uh, the citizens of your country want to do or what they you know what they've decided to do who they've who they've fallen in line behind we want you to do things our way that happened a lot with uh, with communist governments all around the world Vietnam is a great example of that I think people have the right to decide how they want to be ruled if if they want to live under a communist system, go for it. it. We have no place to tell you to tell you how you can or cannot be governed. But us trying to impose certain environmental standards on you, that's telling these foreign governments how to rule. That's telling people this is what you need to do. And it's taking control away from them and it will create significant tension, just like it has. Just like it has in, in Middle Eastern countries where now uh, the West is a target of, of all, f- all these different forms of terrorism. Now, I'm not saying it's solely due to interventionist foreign policy, but that's a huge reason behind the hatred for the West and specifically hatred for the United States in these Middle Eastern countries. And if you see the U.S. trying to impose whatever environmental standards we have on the rest of the world those same types of things are going to happen maybe they won't be as strong maybe they won't result in terrorist attacks or anything but if recent history shows us anything and i'm saying recent history modern history shows us anything it's that people don't like being told what to do by people that they have not chosen to represent them and even sometimes people that they've chosen to represent them the, the people decide These representatives don't actually have my best interests at heart, and I need to abolish that that form of government or, you know, need to need to bring control back locally. So I think Gary Johnson is going off in uncharted territory here. And I think what he's trying to do, he's trying to pander to the left yet again. And that's been a a pretty common theme throughout his campaign. He's trying he's trying to pander to the establishment right too and he came out and said that mitt romney would have a place in his administration and he could pretty much pick the job that he wanted in his administration and that's that's trying to reach out to the more moderate republicans and i think he's he's hoping to get an endorsement from mitt romney so he has he has pandered to the right as well tried to reach out to the never trump people on the right uh, but i think he's pandered much harder to the left, and I've been critical about him on other issues as well. Uh, one of the ones that always comes to the to the front of my mind, and one of the things that makes it extremely difficult for for me to support Gary Johnson and for me to take the leap to actually want to cast my vote for him, is him supporting uh, the right of government to to force uh, bakers should be forced to bake cakes for um for gay gay couples even if their religious beliefs lead them to believe that uh, gay people shouldn't have the right to marry and then logically i remember austin peterson pushed him on this and johnson then said that uh, jewish bakers should be forced to bake cakes for uh, nazi couples for nazi customers so Yes, I, I understand why this makes people uncomfortable and really why libertarians in a lot of cases avoid talking about this issue because on so many, so many things I think libertarians can, can come across to the left as being very open and progressive in a lot of ways, at least in terms of, uh, in terms of socially, in terms of uh, social things, in terms of drug use and wanting, wanting to legalize prostitution and otherwise consenting behavior among two adults uh but then on this issue i think people a lot of people's immediate reaction is oh my gosh how regressive that you know you you wouldn't want to make a gay couple feel comfortable going into a cake shop and wanting to order something like oh you must be anti-gay that's what people think when they when they hear this so i i understand why johnson sort of compromise his beliefs on this one i don't know what his beliefs were to start with so maybe i shouldn't say compromise his beliefs but compromise libertarian principles uh, but it, it, it violates a core tenet of libertarianism which is you can't be conscripted to do something that you do not want to do and th- that's the whole idea of self-ownership that you decide who you want to sell your services to and you can decline to sell your services to anybody that you like for any reason you want, because ultimately you own yourself, and being forced to sell your services to somebody else is a violation of that principle. And a cake baker who doesn't believe in homosexuality, or doesn't believe, or believes that homosexuality is a sin, or that uh, gay people shouldn't have the right to marry, uh, they should be allowed to. Decline to sell their services to a gay couple. And I think that's logically how, if if you take the idea of self-ownership, that's logically where it leads to. And yes, maybe that will make some people feel uncomfortable. But the fact that he was willing to just completely compromise those beliefs um, when he's supposedly supposed to be the representative of the Libertarian Party, when he's supposed to be the Libertarian candidate, i think it's it's very difficult for anybody that is at all strongly libertarian it doesn't even have to be purist because i think even purist libertarians aren't expecting murray rothbard to be running you know they aren't expecting an anarcho-capitalist maybe there are some out there that are expecting that but i think what people are expecting is somebody that that reasonably comes out understands libertarian principles and is willing to talk about them to a crowd willing to talk about them in interviews and doesn't back down from libertarian principles now maybe they don't take it to the extremes maybe they don't talk about you know abolishing uh, government-funded police or the military or things like that Um, I certainly understand that so I I I don't expect Murray Rothbard to be up on that stage or Walter Block to be up on that stage because I, I don't think that's feasible for the vast majority of the united states to be able to absorb that and for it to be palatable to uh, palatable uh, to a lot of people but when you get up there and you don't even make a glancing reference to core libertarian beliefs i think there's a major problem there so gary johnson has done a ton to undermine my potential support In him, which I think if you'd asked me at the beginning of the political cycle, I would have said I uh, unless another candidate comes along, I'll probably be voting for Gary Johnson. Uh, I think he's far better than the other alternatives out there. And that's probably who I'll be casting my vote for, um, assuming he's running as the Libertarian Party candidate. But throughout this entire process, and it started with him running for the Libertarian Party nomination... And in the debates against Austin Peterson, Austin Peterson really pushed him on a lot of things. And I think brought out a lot of the flaws in his lines of reasoning, in in Gary Johnson's lines of reasoning. And it's only continued. I think both the town halls have been very poor. I think he's done a terrible job of getting the libertarian message out there. Has been poorly rehearsed and I think he's doing more harm than good to the libertarian message i think this is a great opportunity for libertarians to get out there and to say this is what we believe in we are an alternative to the republican party and to the democratic party and take it or leave it this is what we believe you know i th- i think that we have a convincing message if there's somebody there that can actually be convincing in delivering it it can be a pretty convincing message it's consistent it doesn't it doesn't have to sway with uh, the political viewpoints of the populace it, it, it can be derived from several core principles Where I, I think the Republican Party and Democratic Party they don't have core principles all that they're in all that they're looking to do is to stay in power whatever they have to say or do to stay in power that's what they're going to do um, but libertarianism doesn't have to be like that but Gary Johnson is making it into that type of thing so i'm just very concerned uh, and i i think that it's like i said it's going to do more harm than good to the libertarian message and this could set back libertarians for years hopefully this can serve as a a, really as an example of what not to do and hopefully we look back on this and say you know this is what gary johnson tried to do in order to to get a certain number of votes to get 15 percent of the votes But this is, we can't do this and expect to survive and expect to remain a viable alternative. If we're willing to sell our souls for votes and willing to sell off core principles for votes, then it's gonna turn off the very people that make up the base of the libertarian movement. So I'm hoping that's how we can look back on this and can learn from it, but it doesn't really help when Every day it seems like I'm I'm seeing a Gary Johnson interview or reading quotes from him where he's just blatantly ignoring what libertarianism has to say on a particular issue. So I want to thank you for listening. Uh, I've hopefully gotten all my technical difficulties out of the way and it should be smooth sailing from this point forward to get podcasts uh, published and out quickly. So. Hopefully there won't be long delays anymore. Um, I should be getting an improved mic in the relatively near future. So hopefully sound quality will improve. And uh, it's just, it's taken some work, but I I feel good about it. And I feel good about the quality of these shows moving forward. So thank you for listening and I will talk to you soon.